Welcome to Progressive News Network, our Sunday show. This, I'm Janine Moloff, your host and producer. We've got several things to discuss today. Um, as you know, the Supreme Court has, well, they didn't agree. The, the Supreme Court uh, recently heard a challenge to Roe v. Wade, and that is the Dobbs case. Dobbs case. And while the corporate media has focused on abortion rights, which, again, I fully support any woman's right to uh, control their own reproductive lives, this case isn't just about abortion rights, though. This case would use the abortion issue as a way to, in my theory, coronate, if you will, states' rights at the expense of any sort of federal appeal. Now, without a federal law, I'm sorry, without a federal level of law to supersede various state laws, wholesale discrimination could once again be the law of the land with no right to appeal. Only Justice Sonia Sotomayor has spoken out regarding this danger to any true and diverse democracy. Killing the Roe decision essentially sets the stage to allow state legislatures to reign like monarchs, if you will, over their own fiefdoms as they as they did so leading up to the Civil War and the, Confed- and the rise of the Confederacy. This time, the ultra-conservatives on the Supreme Court are poised, ready, willing, and able to dismantle federal law as we know it. In fact, they're ready to dismantle not just federal law, but possibly the rights that we all, all are supposed to enjoy in the Bill of Rights. So let's talk about this. Supreme Court takes up this case, the Dobbs case, and it could destroy federal law and, and eventually reverse multiple federal rights, again, on the altar of states' rights. And this is, in my opinion, a vile attempt to destroy what was called the incorporation doctrine. All right. So basically, far too many people in this country don't understand uh, you know, what the Bill of Rights not only is, but what what it actually rules over. And the fact is, the Bill of Rights has been ruled in past Supreme Courts to basically cover federal issues. It is not all-encompassing on state issues, which I know sounds like a lot of double talk. It sounds like that because it is. But going all the way back to the founding uh, fathers, there were again, especially in the South, Southerners that did not want the Bill of Rights to apply across the board. States' rights the way they hold on to power. And so that's why it was so hard to overthrow, for instance, Jim Crow. Because, again, they went back to states' rights saying we can uh, basically deal with our racial issues as we see fit at a state level. That equality before the law as mandated by the Bill of Rights doesn't necessarily apply at the state level. I know it's a shock to a lot of people, but it's true. And over the decades and even centuries, there was a doctrine called selective incorporation. And so basically these rights were incorporated, often using the 14th Amendment, the due process clause to apply what was already 
considered a right at the federal level to apply it to the state level. You saw it in cases like Gideon versus Wainwright, where basically you had to be given due process of law in order for a conviction to stick. You saw it in not only Roe v. Wade, but you also saw it in Brown versus the Board of Education, where they said no separate but equal is not equal. And um, school segregation was thrown to the wayside. All right? So what does all that have to do with Roe? Well, quite a bit, actually. So there's been a lot of buzz in the corporate media about this case in the Supreme Court, the Dobbs case. And it comes from Mississippi, and it's a challenge, a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. But the case is far more critical than the rights of women to control their reproductive lives, as I said a few minutes ago. This is a major salvo against the Bill of Rights itself, done by stealth, curated by extremists in the Federalist Society and other alleged conservative groups, determined to restore full white Christian male supremacy by stripping the protections enunciated by the Bill of Rights under the mantra of states' rights. So that's our first story today. Okay? And if I pause, well, I'm having an issue with a temporary filling in the teeth right now, so kind of bear with me. Uh, feels really odd. Uh, all right. Uh, our second story deals with the Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and his sudden climb from relative obscurity in the state Senate to becoming the, the essentially the GOP candidate for the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Roy Blunt. And there are some other GOP contenders, but there's no question Schmidt will be the candidate for the Republicans. He has a war chest from that, that's dominated by none other than money from the Cokes. Okay? Um, this story will deal with Schmidt's politics coming straight from Alec. That includes his anti-mask, anti-vax lunacy, his anti-critical race theory bigotry, and his involvement in a group called RAGA, which is the Republican Attorney General's Association. Now, this is the same RAGA that was chronicled by Arne Pearson in Newsweek back in 2016. Um, what was the piece about? Rampant and open corruption, namely pay-to-play politics. Uh, you know, you can imagine people rolling their eyes thinking, well, it's all paid for play, isn't it? Up to a point. You see that in other offices, you don't usually come to expect that from attorney generals who are supposed to be officers of the court. But that's what's happening. Ah. Excuse me, folks. So that's our second story. And again, I apologize for the, the long pauses. You know, what can I say? Dental issues are no fine. Anyway. And then finally, there's the Jackass of the Week segment. And that one goes to Fox commentator Lara Logan. And you'll find out why. So welcome to the show. We had a Trumper call in last week, and he wouldn't identify himself other than say, my name is, uh, and there's a long pause, Joe. And then he repeated it. I'm going to make this clear. I generally do not entertain callers, especially those that are determined to monopolize my time. I will not entertain propagandists. That's what Fox is for. So on to the first story. Well, this is a piece that was, it's about the Roe story in the Dobbs case. 
And this was written by Alex Henderson, and um, the headline is, this will be the first reversal. Legal scholar warns more fundamental rights will follow if Roe is overturned. And Mr. Henderson is interviewing renowned legal scholar Lawrence Tribe. Okay? And so Wednesday, December 1st, just a few days ago, the Supreme Court began hearing oral arguments in this case. And the case is, is actually called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Um, the SCOTUS, or Supreme Court, is looking at the constitutionality of this very restrictive Mississippi abortion law. Now, legal expert Lawrence Tribe analyzed the arguments uh, and he explained them on an appearance he had on Lawrence O'Donnell's MSNBC show. And Tribe explained that the high court most likely will uphold, in other words, back up the Mississippi law, which could, which will definitely scale row way back, and it possibly could overturn it. But Tribe did a more on, ominous warning. He said that if, if Roe is dismantled, then other civil liberties will follow. So O'Donnell explained in Dobbs that the Supreme Court is, quote, hearing an argument about taking a right away from people. Okay, I, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. Um, that is what yeah, O'Donnell said. Okay, O'Donnell said the court is hearing an argument about taking a right away from people, and Lawrence Tribe explained, quote, you're right, Lawrence. If the Supreme Court does what I think it is absolutely certain now that it will do, and that is whether it calls it overruling Roe v. Wade or not, getting rid of the fundamental right to abortion until viability. When it does that, it will be the first time in our nation's history that we have turned things backwards in terms of rights, end quote. Lawrence Tribe went on, quote, all along we have expanded rights. Brown v. Board, excuse me, expanded rights beyond what Plessy had said. Lawrence v. Texas expanded rights for LGBT people. We've expanded uh, but if we do now what the court is poised to do, it will be the first turnaround. We will have lost our virginity, basically. And once we do it this time, it's going to be a lot easier to do next time with contraception, with same-sex marriage, with gun rights, for example, rights that conservatives like, rights that liberals like. It's always been a matter of expanding rights. This will be the first reversal of that trend. And so... And that's something that even conservatives need to be worried about. This potentially could open that Pandora's box to reversing rights, not just ones that they hate, like contraception and gay rights, but also gun rights. Once you start going down that slippery slope, who's to say where it'll end? Okay. A lot of right-wing critics of Roe, the Roe decision, have argued that Roe is an attack on states' rights. Okay. Keep in mind, if you, let's just take this a little further. If you accept the um, sentiments expressed in the Bill of Rights, but then you argue states' rights, I'm saying that, well, individual states can rescind those rights, right laws that essentially make it harder to vote, right? Laws that restrict a woman's right not only to, uh, 
to abortion, but right to contraception. Rights that restrict gun rights, whatever it is. Then you're basically saying that we don't have a federal government, and you're saying we really don't have a bill of rights. Instead, you're saying that we have 50 little countries that have a loose confederation, much like the old Articles of Confederation. And folks, I am going to take a break here. I hit my intro music. I will be right back. back. Once again, hit that again. Okay, and we are back. I am sorry for the interruption, folks. Like I said, COVID's interrupted a lot of things, including dental appointments. You just got to roll with the punches. I had another little temporary that I put in there. All right, so here's the thing. Getting back to the original argument, if you value the Bill of Rights, then it must apply in every state of the United States. It can't just be subverted or shortchanged because certain states don't like certain rights or don't like rights extended to certain minorities. That's not how rights work. That's reducing rights to the level of a privilege. And those who have privilege may love it, but understand this. When you have a privilege, a privilege is not the same thing as a right. Privilege can be taken back as easily as it is granted. There are no guarantees. So getting back to this Dobbs case, this is states' rights, But once again, what were states' rights, what were they used for? States' rights advocates use this to block any sort of, well, dating back to the days of slavery, um, pro-slavers used the states' rights argument to make sure that certain states could keep their slaves, period. During the era of Jim Crow, states' rights was used to maintain discriminatory practices that kept people of color from voting, kept them from going into stores to the same and have the same access as whites. States' rights were used to allow police to abuse people of color even more, perhaps, than they do now. There is no legitimacy to straight states' rights in an alleged republic that's supposed to have a federal constitution and a federal bill of rights. But we've been nickeled and dying to death over the decades and actually the centuries by a series of Supreme Courts that have worked actively to undermine the Bill of Rights, especially when the Bill of Rights was 
in the process of being expanded to include uh, minorities. That, that's it. This, is, this still boils down to racism, folks. Racism, misogyny, which is systemic sexism, and so on and so forth. This is still about maintaining white Christian male privilege. And you don't achieve that privilege unless you deny rights on a wholesale level to those that you just see as inferior. Without the, without the Bill of Rights applying equally across state borders throughout the entire United States, there essentially is no Bill of Rights. It's just a mockery. And this case is one that could very easily dismantle other rights. That's the real danger about it. If you take this state's rights argument, then it can just morph further and further. So this is what we're talking about. All right? On the O'Donnell show, um, Lawrence Tribe also pointed out that Sonia Sotomayor, um, said during the oral arguments, she warned that if Roe was overturned, it would seriously damage the reputation and the credibility of the high court, uh, making it overly politicized. Tribe told O'Donnell, quote, as important as the institutional legitimacy of the court is, and I think it's important, even more important, even more fundamental is the question, will we have a legitimate form of law if we have a nation in which half the citizens have less than full rights? We men have the right to control our bodies, but there will be one group of people who are subject to a very different regime who will be told their bodies can be scripted to remain involuntarily pregnant, end quote. And make no mistake about it. First it's abortion, then they'll go after contraception because the abortion case, there was a case before Roe, and it was Griswold v. Connecticut, and that allowed the right to contraception, which led to the other. They go hand in hand, they're companion decisions. Make no mistake about it. So our friend Marjorie uh, Cohn wrote a piece that was published in Truthout. Um, you know, Cohn is a noted legal scholar, and the headline is, for the first time, Supreme Court is poised to retract a fundamental right. Again, the same case. And... Um, she quoted some other things, too. So this is Dobbs v. Jackson, uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization. And this is about six conservatives on the court, all right? We have conservatives, especially that on the court that, I'm just going to say it, don't believe in democracy. They don't believe in equality. That includes Chief Justice John Roberts. You know, Roberts has been... Uh, basically described in the corporate media as the great moderate, yada, yada, yada. It's not true. Before he was a SCOTUS judge, Roberts worked in DOJ, and he made it his life's work to dismantle the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and he did so with the Shelby decision in 2013. John Roberts basically is, in my opinion, is racist when it comes to systemic racist, racism as a get. When you attack a bill that protects the voting rights of, of people of color in a nation with a vile history that includes massive voter suppression, 
or communities of color, then guess what? Yeah, that makes you a racist. It doesn't matter if Mr. Roberts might have an, uh, uh, one or two black friends. That's irrelevant. This is about power. This is about whether or not we have equal rights under the law. So these six conservatives, in my opinion, no, they are not honest brokers and honest officers of the court. They are severe ideologues, and they are put on the court to dismantle all the things that corporate and white Christian superior, uh, white white Christian um, theocracy hates. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of Roe v. Wade. In 1973, the court held that abortion was a fundamental right for a woman's life and future, and that individual states couldn't ban abortion at least until the fetus was viable. In other words, viability means the ability to survive outside the womb. And that's usually around 23 weeks of pregnancy. And the court reaffirmed that basic holding in a 92 case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And that said that states couldn't place restrictions on abortions that, that pushed an undue burden on the right to a pre-viability abortion. So even though this is not mentioned in the Constitution, the the decision in Roe and then again in the Casey cases, they found the right in the liberty section of the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. And that's the clause that says the states can't, quote, deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, end quote. Now, you can see why the GOP of Trump hates the 14th Amendment. Because they are all, in my opinion, they are all about making sure that the only people that have a few rights, rather privileges, are white Christian males. Straight males, that's it. So, you know, what Marjorie Cohen says, even though Chief Justice Roberts may not be ready to, to just directly overturn Roe. He signaled that he's ready to uphold the Mississippi law, which really guts the right. Mississippi passed what's called the Gestational Age Act in 2018, and that outlaws all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, which is way before that viability standard of 23 weeks. Now, law does contain exceptions for medical emergencies, or cases what they call, quote, severe fetal abnormality, but there is no exception for rape or incest. Uh, Federal District Court and the Fifth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals blocked Mississippi from enforcing the law because, yeah, it conflicts with Roe and Casey. So Mississippi went straight to the Supreme Court. Now, these right-wingers, according to Marjorie Cohn, are, quote, cloaking their intent in neutral-sounding language. And that's been the case. We've talked about this before in the show. We've talked about, you know, going all the way back to Lee Atwater. You couldn't say the N-word, so you use coded language like states' rights. Because at the N, states' rights, the, the effect of states' rights, of states being able to rescind the guarantees in the Bill of Rights, hurts communities of color the most. Okay, so 
these these bigots are being very sneaky. That's why you have to look beneath the surface. Now, um, so I'm sorry, Marjorie Cohn quoted Sarge, Solicitor General Prelegard by saying, and this Prelegard said, quote, the court has never revoked a right that is so fundamental to so many Americans and so central to their ability to participate fully and equally in society. The court should not over, overrule this central component of women's liberty, end quote. Now, here's what these conservatives on the court said. And if this is an example of the alleged scholarship on the Supreme Court coming from conservatives, it, it's really very, um, very weak. So, Brat Boy Kavanaugh said the court shouldn't, quote, pick sides, but that the court should remain, quote, scrupulously neutral on the question of abortion, neither pro-choice nor pro-life, end quote. That, on the surface, that sounds not bad, but that's not what it does. Uh, Brett, Brett Kavanaugh, I mean Brett Kavanaugh. No, I mean Brett. Kavanaugh asked Prelogart why the Supreme Court shouldn't leave the decision on whether or when to allow abortion to Congress or to the state legislatures and the state Supreme Court. Okay. And Preloger responded, quote, because the court correctly recognized that this is a fundamental right of women and the nature of fundamental rights is that it's not left up to state legislatures to decide whether to honor them or not, end quote. And that's the cusp of this whole argument. You know, she said that beautifully, especially that last phrase, that it's not left up to state legislatures to decide whether or not to honor Guaranteed rights. Otherwise, we'd be on this roller coaster every other year. Marjorie Cohn also quoted renowned um, dean of the UC Berkeley School of Law, uh, noted scholar Erwin Shemarinsky. And Shemarinsky said, quote, the protection of fundamental rights should not be left to legislatures. For almost a century, the Supreme Court has held that personal liberty is safeguarded by the Constitution leading in time to the constitutional right to privacy and reproductive autonomy, end quote. And I've said this before. Um, what you have, if you overturn Roe, then the court is essentially saying that none of us have a constitutional right to privacy. Think about that for a minute. Because a lot of these other rights are couched in that. Let's go on. Um, Julie Riekelman is the attorney in this case for the Jackson Women's Health Organization, and it's the only clinic uh, in Mississippi that remains that provides abortions. And she told the Supreme Court, quote, Casey and Roe were correct for a state to take control of a woman's body and demand that she go through pregnancy and childbirth with all the physical risks and life-altering consequences that brings is a fundamental deprivation of her liberty, end quote. Now, Kavanaugh testified, well, we're going to skip that part, actually, okay? No, we're going to go ahead. Kavanaugh said during his confirmation hearing that Roe had been, re quote, reaffirmed many times over the past 45 years, end quote, that makes Casey precedent on precedent. Okay. But then during the Dobbs argument, 
Kavanaugh said something very different, especially on the importance of what's called stare decisis. And he justified this apparent intent to overrule Roe and Casey by listing cases where the Supreme Court overruled prior decisions. And those prior decisions included racial segregation, voting rights, criminal legal rights, the rights of same-sex couples, etc. And most of the cases result in the court, quote, recognizing and overturning state control over issues that we said belong to individuals, according to Sotomayor, as a rebuttal. But listen to what Kavanaugh is really saying. Okay? He's saying that because the court overruled prior decisions in other cases, that they can do this too. And that down the road, rights aren't really rights. And he's looking for a legal excuse to restrict rights. And Sotomayor rebutted against this. Okay, but it got worse. Amy Coney Barrett said very simplistically that outlawing abortion wouldn't harm women because they could carry the pregnancy to term and put the baby up for adoption. And she talked about safe haven laws. So once again, these people are out of their freaking minds. Um, Gorsuch questioned the workability of the undue burden standard. Um, and he asked about applying the undue burden standard before viability. Um, Rinkelman, the, the, um, the attorney for the abortion clinic said that undue burden without viability is tantamount to overturning Roe and Casey because the viability line is a central holding of those cases. Now, John Roberts, Chief Justice, was being sneakier. He tried to make his position look like he was pro-choice by saying that women in Mississippi could still elect to have an abortion until the 15th week of pregnancy. The only problem is that most women don't usually know they're pregnant until the 8th or 10th week, if that. Because a lot of women, their menstrual cycles are not that regular. So, finally, Sotomayor said something that was very telling. She asked the Mississippi lawyer that was pushing to end abortion in Mississippi, she said, quote, how is your interest in anything but a religious view? I'm referring to when, the idea of when life begins. And she's right. This is, these are religious conservatives forcing their way on everyone else. So let's, let's move on with this, okay? So there's another piece here by John Storr. And the headline is, Supreme Court threatens to undermine the core protection for American civil liberties. And this is where I'm going with it. If Roe is dismantled, then it essentially could open the door to states, claiming states' rights, 
to regulate and outlaw the rights of the LGBTQ community, even regular outlaw condoms. Um, editorial board contributor Anthony Michael Christ said, quote, once you pull on the loose thread of row, the rest of the stitches holding the right to privacy and sexual liberty together are easier to unravel. And it doesn't end there. All of our civil liberties are in danger with this case. Why? Rose dismantling would signal that a high court prepared to restore pow the power of states to discriminate against the residents. I'm going to say it again. According to historian Heather Cox Richardson, dismantling Roe wouldn't mean just the end of reproductive rights. It would signal that the highest court of the land is fine with restoring power to the states to discriminate against their, their residents. Richardson went on to say, quote, make no mistake, it's not just reproductive rights that are under siege. If the Supreme Court returns power to the states to legislate as they wish, any right currently protected by the federal government is at risk. Think about that for a minute. This is how precedent works. And this isn't about democracy backsliding, according to this author. Quote, what's backsliding is a full, fair, and free democracy and a multiracial democracy. That's what we're talking about. What we're witnessing, quote, is the erosion of political gains made in the years after World War II when America finally made good on the Declaration of Independence. The U.S. will be a democracy, just not for all of us, end quote. And again, going back to that conveniently forgotten history, there was a time when the Bill of Rights did not apply at all to the states. People forget this. The Supreme Court applied it, the Bill of Rights, but only to the federal government. And that left state governments basically the permission to discriminate at will against the residents. And that was really based on the popular will, I'll just say it, the white Protestant majorities protecting slavery was in that bunch. Jim Crow was in that bunch. Later on, who got to marry whom? The anti-miscegenation laws as well as the right of gay couples to marry. So how did this begin? Well, the process began in the 1920s. But really, after World War II, this is key, the Supreme Court accelerated a pattern that later became known as incorporation. And that's when the court read the Bill of Rights through the lens of the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause. This is why Trump and his minions hate the 14th Amendment. Let's read the text of the 14th Amendment, especially that clause. Quote, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. 
kind of seems pretty simple, doesn't it? The recent spat, spate of voter suppression law would fall under this as a violation of the 14th Amendment's due process clause. Now, the consequences of the incorporation doctrine was radical change for the times, privileged equality under the law, and it gave the federal government the power to overrule state statutes for the purpose of protecting individual liberties. And it was on those grounds that the court protected people of color, interracial marriage, access to birth control, religious freedom, gay rights, and so on and so forth. Now, um, uh, sorry folks, this dental issues are not fun. Not all the amendments that are in the Bill of Rights are incorporated. In other words, they're not under, they don't get the protection of the federal government, you know, to enforce across the states. So the third and seventh amendments are not incorporated. But once again, this is an expansion of legal equality through this doctrine of incorporation, which basically means that in, for, those, for those rights that are incorporated, have to um, obey or face federal, federal prosecution. So this is the way we fought a lot of the most racist and misogynist codes in our country. But we have a lot of emerging white supremacists, and I say, white supremacists, they are neo-Nazis, and their agenda, Roe was always the key. It was the key to destroying the incorporation doctrine and returning to Jim Crow, as well as other unjust laws. That's really all it is. And this could, this pattern could be used to return state laws against pornography, interracial marriage, birth control, free speech, free press, Religion, you know, the idea that uh, the state cannot have a state religion. If if you get rid of the incorporation doctrine, then states could do that theoretically. And the only other solution would be, as Justice Black did, said a long time ago, to nationalize the Bill of Rights. And I'm just going to be really upfront about this. The incorporation doctrine is something that must be protected, but I actually prefer the idea that all the rights that are listed in the Bill of Rights should be nationalized. That would end this nonsense once and for all. Because right now, we have a Supreme Court that with this Dobbs case is poised to return the power to discriminate against minorities with impunity back to the states. That's the real danger. And while the incorporation doctrine was a, a partial solution for the times, it is not the solution. The solution is a full nationalizing 
of every right in the Bill of Rights. How can you say we have a Bill of Rights if it varies across state lines? How can you say we really have a federal government of any type when various states can disobey? It's like we have 50 little countries. And we've seen this with COVID, with the idea that we can't have a vaccine mandate, with the idea we can't have a masking mandate. This is crucial. We must nationalize the Bill of Rights. Otherwise, it's just a really sick joke. That's what's going on, folks. And this is behind when Trump kept saying that he wants to overturn our risk of the 14th Amendment. You have to ask yourself why now. Now you know why. Okay. So this is all about the due process clause, and we're going to be talking about this more on the show. Uh, I'm also working on a piece that will run in BuzzFlash. This is a really important subject, people, before it's too late. Okay, let's move on. So now, sorry, folks. So now we have here in Missouri an attorney general who's running for the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Roy Blunt. His name is Eric Schmidt. And Mr. Schmidt is somebody that is really a darling of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, as well as um, the Cokes themselves. Keep in mind, the Cokes, through various uh, little nonprofits they set up or fund, they fund ALEC, along with the Mercers and some others. So, just recently, the Koch Network endorsed anti-mask, anti-vaccine lunatic, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. Now, before all this happened, Schmidt was kind of an obscure state senator, and then I think he was treasurer for a little bit. No big deal. And then, oh, excuse me, when Josh Hawley ran for Senate, and he won. He had been the Attorney General. So our Trumper Governor, Mike Parson, appointed Eric Schmidt. Now, Mr. Schmidt has already raised $2 million for his primary, and he has been um, endorsed by um, Charles Koch himself as well as Americans for Prosperity, which is funded by the Cokes. And, you know, besides that, again, I apologize for the long pauses. Uh, I'm trying to keep going here. Schmidt has pursued a lot of frivolous lawsuits recently. Okay, folks. He was part of the group of attorney generals, and again, this, this temporary filling is coming out again, um, 
suing the Biden administration for a vaccine mandate for private businesses of over 100 employees. He led that event. Um, he's opposed school mask mandates uh, and other public uh, health issues. Essentially, he hasn't met a public health issue that he didn't like. He's opposed critical race theory and also sued some local school districts on that, even though it's not taught in K through 12. It's taught in law school. But he's wasting taxpayer dollars. Mr. Schmidt, excuse me, again, having a rough time today. Mr. Schmidt is um, at the national level, has served as interim chairman of the Republican Attorney General's Association otherwise known as RAGA. He's currently their vice chairman. And this is significant because RAGA has been accused of open corruption. Uh, RAGA went all in on Trump's false election fraud claims. RAGA was directly involved in events leading leading to uh, the January 6th insurrection. RAGA was a member of the March to Save America Coalition that organized the events of January 6th. Um, it received money from, dark money from a partner called the Rule of Law Defense Fund. And um, it gets worse, though. Raga offers corporations various degrees of, shall we say, access to Republican attorney generals, but it's, quote, based on the amount of money that each corporation donates. Yeah, you heard me right. Okay, so this was ex- exposed by Center for Media and Democracy. Excuse me, about to sneeze. Oh boy. Knew <laughs> that was coming. Okay. Um, Raga has recently expanded their pay to play operation, according to David Armiak for Center of Media and Democracy. Um, they add another weapon to their arsenal, which is called the Rule of Law Endowment. So they get tax exempt status from the from the IRS. Um, and Rule of Law Endowment operates out of the same office and with the same staff as Raga. And that's according to the Center for Media and Democracy. Raga is a registered political organization. It's bankrolled by unlimited contributions from corporations and special interests. That includes dark money groups such as the Concord Fund, Coke Industries, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Fossil Fuel, Telecom, drug companies, and the National Rifle Association. Raga runs a cash for influence operation, and that's according to Newsweek. And they sell access to various Republican attorney generals and their staff to corporate funders, again, according to Newsweek. Okay. We're going to go to that Newsweek article. It was published in 2016 and written by Arn Pearson. Okay. And the headline is State's Attorney Generals are for sale to the highest bidder. This was in 2016. Okay. And it says, you know, basically attorney generals in states across the country, quote, have largely under the radar been selling access. Keep in mind, when you grant when you gain access to people in power, in public office, 
It doesn't guarantee they're going to do exactly what you want, but it sure as hell improves your chances a great deal. These people are not going to bite the hand that feeds them. So this cash for influence operation run by RAGA, or the Republican Attorney General Association, um, has major corporate donors. They give these, these meetings at posh resorts and um, some of the people that pay these legalized bribes include the American Coalition for Clean Coal Electricity, fossil fuel giants like Murray Energy, Coke Industries, and ExxonMobil. And these groups have paid, quote, hundreds of thousands of dollars since the beginning of 2015 for meetings with Republican Attorney General, end quote. Um, it gets worse. According to what Arne Pearson wrote, quote, Raga has gone so far as to give corporations a price list detailing how much access they get for donations ranging from $25,000 to $125,000. I think that pretty much says it all. This is selling influence, people. That's it. It's selling influence. So, Going back to these two stories, going back to the first story, when we look at the Roe decision, how this is really a plan to dismantle the incorporation doctrine, powers return to the states. States' rights will reign supreme, and yes, Jim Crow will reign supreme again, along with quite a few other highly discriminatory practices. Dismantling the incorporation doctrine through Roe grants these states the legal power to discriminate with impunity, period. It's all it's ever been about, folks. Without the incorporation of guarantees stated in the Bill of Rights or without nationalizing those rights, which is preferable, our Constitution is nothing more than a worthless piece of paper. And those are argued states' rights while claiming the mantle of democracy are using an anemic letter-of-the-law argument that mocks the very pretty words in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Democracy should never reflect mob rule and the bigotries of any group. It should reflect true justice, namely equality before the law. So now, and once again, folks, I apologize for all the pauses. Um, it's hard to talk clearly. It's a, it's a back molar and it just feels weird. Life happens. I just kept going as best I could. Now we have a feature that I like, okay? You know, you have Dr. Rashad Ritchie with his, um, you, you know, his Karen segment on Karenicity. We have our jackass of the week or we could call it the jackassery of the week. And this one, the jackass of the week, is conservative mouthpiece and native originally from South Africa, Lara Logan. Now, Lara Logan had, in past years had been a, a correspondent on 60 Minutes. And then she went to Fox. And just recently, Lara Logan was comparing Dr. Fauci and his work to try and basically get people vaccinated during this for this pandemic that has killed almost 800,000 fellow Americans in under two years. She compared 
Dr. Fauci to Nazi butcher Joseph Mengele. And it was all because she was backing the dubious rights of anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers to not only endanger themselves, but everyone else as well. So the anti-vax and anti-mask arguments speak for themselves, okay? These are people that are saying their liberty trumps, if you will, ironically speaking, their liberty to infect others supersedes anyone else's right to life. That's what they're saying. You know, if this virus weren't airborne, might be a different story. You know, like with HIV, you can choose not to have unprotected sex with somebody, but once something is airborne like COVID is, newsflash, you can't choose not to breathe. Those that argue they have a right to not mask and to not vaccinate, short a true medical problem, they're basically arguing that they should be allowed to drive the, the equivalent of driving drunk over 100 miles an hour on a highway with no headlights. That's it. It's that asinine an argument. But the reason Lara Logan is our jackass of the week is when she invoked and co-opted the Holocaust. This woman is a privileged woman, white woman from South Africa. She has never suffered a day of discrimination due to racism or religious bigotry in her life. Like many Jews, I lost family in the Holocaust. How dare she invoke that and cheapen it because she doesn't like Dr. Fauci's policies? How dare she cheapen it and disrespect the Holocaust to pander to the bigots that listen to Fox and the loonies that listen to Tucker Carlson. And do I believe that Lara Logan honestly believes what she's saying? No. I don't think she's stupid. I think she's that corrupt. And that's what we're talking about. So with no further ado, Lara Logan is our jackass of the week. Because she really stepped in at this time, comparing Dr. Fauci to Nazi butcher Joseph Mengele. How dare she? I would have made it. I would have made the jackass of the week, Tucker Carlson, but that's such low-hanging fruit. I had to give myself a little more of a challenge. Anyway, that's our show for today. Again, I apologize for all the pauses. What can I say? When you have dental issues and you can't get to the dentist, it just is what it is. I did the best I could. Um, That being said, I hope that everybody looks into this row case. There will be more on it. I will be doing an article, which most likely will run in BuzzFlash, my literary home, and it will delve more deeply into the difference between states' rights incorporation of the Bill of Rights versus nationalization of the Bill of Rights. Excuse me, because this is something that that is critical. Do not take those rights, especially the First Amendment, for granted. Don't. Seriously. And the only way we can safeguard those rights for everybody, including communities of color, women, 
the LGBTQ community and migrants and everyone else, the only way we can fulfill the promise of those pretty words is by nationalizing the Bill of Rights. That is it. Nothing else will work. Otherwise, we're going to be fighting defense nonstop. This is, Roe was their excuse. This is really <clears throat> an assault on equality before the law, period. So with that, I say good night, and oh, God bless us.